From the over-the-top studios at Scratch Labs in Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. We're here with polar explorer Eric Larson. And, you know, this is going out on over-the-top cycling because I met you in 1994. (laughs) 106 years ago. (laughs) On on a cross-country bike ride that was a lot of fun. And then we kind of bump into each other, what, four years ago? Yeah, something like that in Boulder <laughs> randomly at the at dinner and I looked at you and thought, man, you look familiar. <laughs> Didn't I ride a bike with you at one point <laughs> for a long time? Yes, you did. <laughs> so we're starting a new show called On Adventure. And uh, kind of tell us what we're going to be doing on this, Eric. Well, I've had this idea for a while. And, you know, as someone who spends most of my life in really remote places, freezing my you-know-what off on what I call long, boring suffer fests, I get a lot of time to think. And I get a lot of time to think about the things that I'm really interested in, which are adventure. And it doesn't matter if it's big expeditions, climbing Mount Everest, or just going on a, a backpacking trip overnight and everything in between. I think there's a lot of ideas um, kind of surrounding moderate adventure um, in terms of where the leading edge is, what does it mean to suffer, Um what sports are kind of up and coming, what sports are dying off in the adventure world. And I think there's an opportunity to have some really unique and candid discussions and provide some insights for people um, about what's going on in the adventure world. You know, it's funny. We're actually sitting here doing a podcast. I uh, One of my first interviews when I started this thing four and a half years ago was with Alan Larson. And I dropped by Scratch, and there was this fat tire bike on display in their front window and it had scratch on it, and it was like, wow, what's this for? And they said, well, this, this guy's going to be riding it on the South Pole. Who's that? Eric Larson. I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's like, it's, it's, we're in Boulder, so there's like a quarter degree of separation, you know? It's just a matter of time before you run into like, okay, yep, yeah, we know each other. <laughs> so when I saw you on Facebook, and it seems like your first two names have changed now to Polar Explorer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did you get involved in this? You know, it's it's a, f- a question that I get a lot of time, a lot of, uh, quite often, and it's hard because I don't think I have like a distinct founder story like, oh, I opened this book and this light went off in my head. I think for me, this idea of adventure has always been something that's been inside of me. Um, doing big expeditions has always kind of been a direction I wanted to go with my life. And so I I think as a kid, I spent a lot of time outside. I had a lot of great experiences on small adventures. And as soon as I was old enough, I was planning canoe trips with my buddies in, you know, high school. And we were going up to Northern Minnesota. I'm from Wisconsin and planning our own canoe trips and got a job as a backcountry ranger in Alaska. And when I met you, I was biking across the U.S. as a bike mechanic. And so I really enjoyed those experiences. And I always was curious about what more could I do? And having read also a lot of historical um, accounts of adventures, I wanted to, um, you know, try those things for myself. And so it was this kind of steady progression of learning new skills, doing bigger trips, um, eventually getting into dog sledding, which kind of opened the door to some bigger expeditions for me, and then kind of uh, moving out towards polar expeditions and then eventually mountaineering trips as well. Now, you're very outgoing, very social, but you also seem to enjoy time alone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my <laughs> wife Yeah, my wife and I get in this in this discussion all the time. She's like, you're an extrovert. And I'm I actually I'm an introvert. Like I Are you really. Oh, yeah. I I enjoy spending a lot of time alone. I'm very comfortable, 
you know, like social interactions wear me out. I, I do it because I have to, and I, I like people, I like ideas, so I do enjoy conversations, but I'm, I'm very comfortable spending a lot of time by myself. Um, you know, back in the day, I would go out purposefully and just do backpacking trips by myself just to be out with my own thoughts. And so I enjoy that time. And I think part of what I do isn't really this huge challenge, but it's almost an easy escape for me. Like going off to like not seeing anybody for two months in Antarctica is almost easier than going into a city and having to talk to a lot of people. Now, when you were younger, how did your parents deal with that? And I, I, I think you have a, an idea about this now because you have kids. And uh, how are you going to feel if your son wants to go off for two months on his own where you can't get in touch with him and you're worried about him? Yeah, I think um, I would be excited. You know, like my goal with my kids is really to try to understand what their interests are and foster them. My parents, I think, were great parents. They introduced me to the outdoors. They just kind of left me alone. And part of that allowed me to do the things that I, that I do today. Um, but with my kids, it's really trying to foster their own interests. And if, if, if my son wants to go to Antarctica or my daughter wants to go to Antarctica, I would be psyched because we would have that common language. It's something that's so important to me. If they want to play the violin, I think that's just as incredible. You know, So it's, it's hard. I think it's an evolving thing. Being a parent for me is like the best thing in the world, and uh, it's kind of always evolving. Now, with adventure, it seems like you always have to kind of one-up yourself. How does that work? Because what is the next big thing? Yeah, it's funny because I think about that idea a lot. And it's a it's a little bit of a trap as well, because you can kind of get into this like one upsmanship game where you always have to be doing something harder, more. And it can get dangerous if you Mm -hmm. get in that mentality. And, And part of me also really likes that because it. Um, one of the things that you learn when you do some of these really difficult, life-threatening things is that success can be, you know, a little bit more of a formula. There are variables that get thrown in there, but when you put in hard work and planning and preparation and, and uh, the ability to take risks and being more comfortable in uncomfortable situations, you're able to do these harder things. That said, my focus is more on telling stories. And so my leading edge is how can I tell compelling stories of unique adventures? And so when I look at the map, I look at places where people haven't been, or I look at um, um, types of travel that haven't been done in certain places. For example, like fat biking in Antarctica. Nobody had done that previously. And so my leading edge and my how I want to push the envelope really is how can I be more unique in this adventure world? Climbing Everest is an epic adventure, but 6,000 people have climbed Everest. And so for me, last year, we went to Nepal and we climbed a mountain that had never been climbed before. And, and uh, that's, I think, where the challenge lies for me. And there is danger in there, and it can be um, you know, stressful in terms of like trying to string these things together, but um, it's also uh, a lot more engaging. Now, you said something that really stuck out to me right there. Being comfortable, being more comfortable in uncomfortable situations. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah, well, it's, uh, it's, it's, I think like so many other things, it's a skill. Like you don't necessarily see it as a skill, but, but being comfortable with risk, being comfortable with uncertainty, those are difficult things for all of us to deal with in our normal lives. We, like routine is comforting. Going to a job that you know has security is comforting. Having a house is comfortable. 
And so purposefully pushing all those things aside and going to a situation where you don't know what the next step is going to bring you or the next day is going to bring you. You don't know what obstacles lie in your path. You don't know how you're going to achieve the goal that you're going to out. Those are hard things to deal with. But you become more adept at dealing with that uncertainty and and living in that space where, you know what, we're just going to try and we're going to see what happens. Um, And that's kind of where I come back to. Now, a first ascent in Nepal, that just sounds like pushing the edge of uncomfortable. Yeah, actually, you know, like Nepal is a pretty amazing place. Um, And as someone from Wisconsin, mountaineering necessarily isn't my first wheelhouse, you know, like the highest point in Wisconsin is like 1200 feet. And so seeing mountains that big to me are just amazing. Um, and there's, there's actually quite decent infrastructure there in terms of like a big part of the industry of Nepal is based around tourists and porters and getting people into the Kumbu Valley, which is like Everest, but still like that leading edge of exploration. And what I really enjoy is trying to solve these problems that nobody's done before. And that's the challenge for me. Um, and so you're trying to, you know, figure out what that region is like. Where can I get a map? What is the, What are the possible routes? How do we get our gear all the way up there? What's the possible route? Um, and then you're in these situations and you're dealing with a lot of variables, you know. Uh, we went, we traveled through the, this kind of uh, little less traveled area, but still on the tourist trekking route. It's called the Rawalling Valley. Um but it had been, you know, right after the earthquake, basically, like the fall after the big earthquake. And uh, so a lot of the path was completely obliterated. We had to try to find our way up to this glacier. And, you know, up at 15,000 feet, our porters stopped carrying the gear. And so here we were, like, hauling loads of, you know, 60, 70 pounds up to 16,000 feet to our base camp, which was not as far up as we wanted to get. So for each one of these decisions, something happens, and then you have to deal with it. And so... You know, my my partner who I do a lot of uh, adventures with, his name is Ryan Waters, we, we always say, like, this was your idea, right? Like, <laughs> because we seem to always get in these situations where we're dealing with these really difficult decisions. and um, But that's part of the challenge, and that's, I think, part of where the leading edge of adventure is. Signing up for a marathon is interesting. It's a challenge, but that's all terra cognita. Like, you know that whole route. Somebody has done that before, and you can get mentally, you can think about that, and that can help you. You're, you're doing something that's known. But when you push off and take that step in the unknown, then that just opens up these possibilities, which oftentimes are mostly stressful, but you get to that one little thing, that one little kind of grain of, of beauty or whatever it is that, that um, just gives you a better understanding of the place, better understanding of yourself, a better understanding of what you can do, of what people are capable of doing. Now, I want to talk about Ryan a little bit and your relationship with him. I certainly hope we can have him as a guest. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, how do you work out or how do you find someone who you can actually share an adventure like this with? Yeah, that's a very good question because having a good partner is... That would be huge. Yeah, and I've done solo expeditions and I like it, but I really like working with teams, but it's very stressful as well. Because there's a lot of dynamics that go into a situation when you're working on really hard objectives or goals in places where you're physically uncomfortable all the time and mentally and stressed. And people or, change under those situations. Oh, yeah. Someone you get along with here, yeah. you know, you get yeah. them out there and... 
Yeah, the team dynamics are something. And I've had some situations where it's been two months in the tent of somebody who we're, we're not really getting along with really well, and that's not a fun place wow. to be, um, especially when there's all these other variables going on. And, and for Ryan and I, we met in Boulder many years ago, and right away we just kind of had a similar style. Um, and we've w- done all sorts of different trips over the years, and and we have this dynamic where we both kind of do our own things in our separate lives, and we come together for these trips, and you know we um, we kind of have this thing where where one person kind of takes the lead, and it, you know you can kind of go, the other person will follow, and then something will happen where this person will get stressed out or uncertain or hesitate, and that other person just kind of takes over and just keeps going. And so it's this it's this dynamic that's really evolved over the years and we've had some big arguments too like no question. Um but oftentimes we're focused on the same goal which is when I uh, you know talk about a team that's the most important thing is we need to be focused exactly on that goal and not just getting to that point but how are we going to do it? What's the process? How are we going to solve these problems? But then with, with Ryan and I, our personalities are just really complimentary. We have a good appreciation and respect of one another. And so I've talked about Ryan a lot um, just with various people, and, and a partner like that is doesn't come along very often. And so I have a profound respect and admiration for him, his abilities, and just being a friend as well. Now I want to get into some of the logistics you have to go through. You were talking about you know, equipment, uh, the travel of getting there. How about working with governments? Yeah, the the logistics are a huge part of it. Again, when you're doing things that um, haven't been done, and it depends on where you go, so you deal with different things. Surprisingly enough, Antarctica is pretty easy. Is it uh, really? In, in the sense that, for, for many things, um, in the sense that there are some organizations that can help you get permits, and it's kind of all tied in with the logistics. If you want to do something a little off the charts, then there are some government permitting, and, and there's a treaty that governs all of travel in Antarctica, so it's a little it's a little more difficult in that sense. Places like Nepal, you know, the area that we went had been um, closed off to climbing for many, many years, so nobody had ever climbed there, and it's only recently been open. So we actually hired like a fixer, so to speak, to help us get all the permits. It's actually a guy that Ryan works with pretty regularly because he guides in Nepal. He guides on Everest. He's got a company called Mountain Professionals. Um, and so we hire somebody to help w- that process. Same thing like if I go when, we, when we've gone through Russia um, in the past. And, and because there's so many cultural things that you don't know, there's so many political things that you don't know. And as much as I want to be doing everything myself, what I've realized is to go into some of these countries and try to figure this stuff out just on your own is a whole like you know two three four six months process on its own and so oftentimes we try to go you know on our own the arctic ocean and the north pole there's really no permitting there and so we do everything on our own and it's just kind of arranging all the logistics ourselves and if you get into trouble you're on your own yeah 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 and i mean and and part of you know, I'm very focused on that idea of safety um, in terms of being responsible for ourselves. And so, yeah, if we get into trouble, we're on our own. But again, for for even a place like the North Pole, we've we've paid like um, a logistics company to pick us up ahead of time if something goes wrong. So we actually have to pay a hundred grand to that company before we before they'll even drop us off. 
And so it's not like we're relying on militaries or whatever to pick us up. We're trying to take care of those things ahead of time, man, as well as be in regular communication and things like that. Because that's part of, I think, being a responsible recreator. Now, at what point did you realize, you know, I might be able to make a living being an adventurer? Uh, I'll let you know when it happens. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been a struggle for my whole life. It's definitely like um, a lot better now. I'm a hustler. And I, you know, it's funny, I used to get really bummed out. My sport, like polar travel, is kind of the redheaded stepchild of the adventure world. Like in the States, like not a lot of people do it. And it's long, boring stuff for us. Like you go to Antarctica and you ski for two months and you don't see anything but white. So it's not like these iconic, like mountains, you know, people, it, it's very arbitrary. And so it used to bum me out. I'm like, man, I'm the only person that does this. Nobody gets it, you know, things like that. But now, I'm excited because like I'm one of the few people that has really like taken that sport and, and kind of run with it in the in the new millennia and um and I'm and I'm an expert at it. You know, I'm the best there is. I've done more polar expeditions than any other American in history. And so having that position, having uh, that unique perspective on adventure, being more focused on telling stories um, has also helped me and also developing my photography and videography. So now it's, it's, it's a lot easier than what it used to be. And the world changed around me. You know, social media, it, you know, started. Back in the day, it, it was just a different world. And so I, I got lucky because I was able to do some of these trips before there was a pressure of social media. I got to make mistakes. I got to, you know, do things just for doing them versus like, hey, I'm going to get a sponsor and then do this. So it's been, it's been a, progress, a progression, though. Now you have a book coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have a book coming out, and, and I'm really proud of that, you know. And if I were to have said, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I, want, I would have said the same thing. I want to do expedition and write a book. The problem is, is that idea and my ability to do that are two separate things. And so I think as much as I may have wanted to do that 20 or 15 years ago, all that time that I put in has allowed me to have a product now that I'm much more proud of. That's 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 much more elegant. That tells a, a a much more compelling story. That's very personal to me as well, which I think is important um, too. And it tells a, a unique story of that place on an expedition that that will most likely be the last of its kind in history. Now I'm looking at some pictures here, and we're definitely going to get into this book in our next interview. But there's a lot of white. But yeah. there's also some really incredible photos in here of just some unimaginable scenery. Yeah, the Arctic Ocean is, yeah, unlike Antarctica, you know, I would say the North Pole and South Pole are polar opposites. And, you know, part of, part of, my, uh, part of my goal with, with this adventure and this book is simply just to tell the story of the Arctic Ocean because people really don't have a good grasp of what that environment is like. And it's a very dynamic place. The ice is floating on water. It's moving around constantly, um, you know. And so it's a very dynamic environment, unlike any other adventure on the face of the planet. And so um, being able to have that book, we had a documentary that was on Animal Planet and Discovery about that as well, um, to me represents one of my biggest successes because ultimately I consider myself a storyteller. And my goal really is to tell the story of these, what I call the last great frozen places and the Arctic Ocean being uh, an area that's changing very dramatically. 
Now, Eric, I have so many questions I want to ask you. This podcast could go for at least 10 hours. <laughs> uh, but I think this is a good place to wrap up uh, and lead into our next show, which I really do want to focus on your book and, and talk about this. Yeah. Because it's be coming out beginning of October? Yep, it's coming out in October. Uh, it's available on pre, uh, pre-order on Amazon right now, On Thin Ice, an epic final quest in the melting Arctic. And I'll be traveling around doing a book tour as well. On adventure. Awesome. Eric Larson, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. From the Over the Top Studios at Scratch Labs in Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas.